Thank you for joining us today and a big thank you to our show sponsor, Amazing Jane Activewear, recommended as best leggings for running by Women's Fitness Magazine. Karen and I have been trialing their designs for a few months and we can happily recommend them. All designs are cut to skim, not cling, giving you confidence to look and feel great and focus on performance. So if you'd like to try Amazing Jane Activewear, please use our listeners special discount code RHH10 for 10% off all purchases at amazingjane.com. Amazing Jane ship around the world, so please check their website for details. Painkillers for running, that's the question we're answering today. We'll look at the health risks and the impact on running performance, and also some nutritional alternatives to over-the-counter medication. Hello and welcome to She Runs, Eats, Performs, the podcast for female runners of all abilities. Please join Karen Campbell and Aileen Smith, nutritionists, friends and runners, who are here to help you translate sports nutritional science into easy to apply tips and plans, helping you enjoy peak running performance. And especially adding in the female factors every woman needs to know to be a healthy runner. The suggestions we make during this episode are for a guidance and advice only, and are not a substitute for medical advice or treatment. If you have any concerns regarding your health, please contact your healthcare professional for advice as soon as possible. If you'd like help from Karen and Ailey to design a personalised sports nutrition plan for your running, please contact them at Runners Health Hub. Welcome back. I'm Karen and I'm here as always with Aileen. Aileen, how are you today? I'm very well, thank you. We're sort of getting a little bit out of lockdown, not completely, uh, but I've been to Pilates this morning. So um, that's just feels so lovely to actually go out and do a, a small class with some other people. Uh, so I've really enjoyed that and I'm oh, ready for, I- for action. <laughs> yeah, all good. All energised now, ready for the discussion ahead. I am indeed. I am indeed. Good, good, excellent. So, as always, everybody, we're going to share something personal with you about either our nutrition or our running before we move on to discuss our topic for today, which is focusing on the chronic use of painkillers by endurance runners. So, I thought, Aileen, instead of starting with pain, I'd maybe ask you a question about comfort and thinking about comfort food or food that you enjoy as a treat. What what would you say are your treat or comfort foods, Aileen? Um, Well, I I love savoury foods more than sweet. So my treat uh, really would be a lovely cheese board. Um, I really love trying out local artisan cheeses uh, wherever I am, whether I'm, you know, locally here or, or maybe you know, in the distant future when I might go on holiday somewhere um, Mm. and uh, maybe having a lovely glass of Pinot Noir to go along with it. That would be my ultimate treat. And, uh, you know, it's not something that I do so often, but so when I do, I really enjoy it. Um, And I do have a lovely cheese shop um, quite nearby. So I have to restrict my visits because I could go mad when I go in there. There's just so much to choose from. Mm. So what about you, Karen? What do you, what do you enjoy? Yeah, well, actually, Aileen, I'm just picturing you in continental Europe, sitting outside in the sunshine with your little cheese board and your glass of red wine. And I think I want to join you there. (laughs) (laughs) 
That sounds lovely. Please, can we go? Please, I know. Hopefully, hopefully, like you say, in the fairly near future, we may be able to travel abroad and that would be something to look forward to. But but anyway, thinking about my treat food daily, it's actually quite, although I do like the idea of a cheese board and, um, and a glass of wine, I have to say that I've got quite a sweet tooth, which I've got to manage. Um, but um, my treat really would be a dessert after a meal. And my favourite types of desserts are tarts. Um, in fact, my favourite savoury meal is a tart, like a quiche or something like that. So I clearly like pastry. Um, so, but my favourite dessert also is the likes of pecan tart or treacle tart or a fresh apple tart. And I really like it served warm with that ice cold vanilla ice cream. So that you've got the contrast of the warm or the cold or with Greek yogurt. I love Greek yogurt. I'm not into creams and creme fraiche and all of that, but I do like ice cream or Greek yogurt. And I have to say that I do actually prefer to make them myself because I can control the ingredients and I can sort of adapt recipes to try and make them um, healthier as well. Um, but I have to say, on the odd occasion, I would maybe have one in a restaurant just because somebody else has made it for me and it's a sheer luxury. Um, but I have to say that hasn't happened for quite a long time. Um, but but like you're saying, Aileen, things are opening up. So I am hoping to maybe go out for um, for dinner fairly soon. So I'm really excited about it. Whether I have a dessert or not, I don't know. But I'm, I'm looking forward to going out from yeah, here. It's a lovely, a lovely idea, isn't it? It is definitely. So okay, let's look at our conversation for today. So like I said, we're going to be looking at um, painkillers and their chronic use by runners, especially endurance runners. And what we'll do is we'll talk about the background to chronic use of painkillers by these endurance runners, the health risks to runners when using painkillers, and the potential impact on performance of them. And then sort of finishing looking at alternatives to over-the-counter um, pain medication, so looking at natural alternatives. So Aileen, let's get cracking. And um, could you maybe start by telling us why we are talking about painkillers today? Yeah, sure. Well, it's, I think it's really important to bring about some awareness about the potential health risks that are associated with the chronic use of painkillers uh, by endurance runners, as you as you mentioned there, um, and I think that many runners, or some runners at, at least, are using painkillers as a tool uh, to override the symptoms of the aches and the sore muscles and potentially injuries, and that help that's helping them to continue to train or to race. Um, but I, I think that runners who use painkillers in this way may not be aware of the health risks. Um, or indeed the alternatives, you know, what what else could they do instead? And, and I think runners typically get into the habit of using these over-the-counter painkillers, as I said, to, to relieve muscle pain, uh, to manage pain during injuries, um, during a race perhaps, uh, and, and also to think about um, reducing inflammation as a result of an injury. So I think people are doing it with the best intentions but don't really know um, if it's working and what the potential risks are. So I think it's a really interesting topic to explore today, Karen. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I would totally agree with that, Aileen. You know, I know many runners from the clubs, club I'm in, but also just generally. And um, and I have to say, a lot of them speak about using these anti-inflammatories and painkillers and different things to control or to, to allow them to keep running um, when they're injured. And, and sort of thinking about these over-the-counter medications, Aileen, what are the most common ones that you would say are used well, I think um, the most common ones would be things like paracetamol, aspirin and ibuprofen. So I know that we've got some listeners who are in the States, in the US, so they might know these under different names. So paracetamol in the US is uh, known as Tylenol or Panadol. Um, and also, if you're reading around um, paracetamol, you might hear it described medically as something called acetaminophen, which is um, its medical name. Um, and basically, paracetamol is a medication that's used to treat fever and mild to moderate pain. And, you know, everybody has probably used it in their life at some point. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a, a cheap and accessible uh, medication. So a lot of people will have it in their homes and um, often were advised by medics to use it for for this sort of um, type of symptom. And then the other two that I mentioned, the ibuprofen and the aspirin, are what is known collectively as um, NSAIDs or NSAIDs, depending on how you want to pronounce it. So that is a short um, term for something called non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs. Uh, and again, these are very common medications and they're widely used to relieve pain, to reduce inflammation and bring down a high temperature. So, you know, in day-to-day -day life, people would use them to relieve symptoms of headaches, painful periods, um, sprains and strains, which, you know, often are a common problem for runners, uh, colds and flu, arthritis, and maybe other causes of of long-term pain. Um, so yeah, I think people will have will have heard of all of these and probably will have used all of them at some point in their life. So they're going on to thinking about how these actually work, Karen. So the the exact mechanism for paracetamol is is still unknown, even though it's been around for probably a hundred years. Um, but it's commonly accepted that um, paracetamol release pain by reducing the production of something called prostaglandins in the brain and also in the spinal cord. And it's thought that paracetamol may increase our pain threshold. So although the cause of the pain remains, we feel it less. Um, and that allows us to function and sort of get on with life while the, the pain's still there. Mm. Um, that's really interesting, actually, that it's thought to uh, increase our, our pain threshold so that we, we, like you say, the pain is still there, but we we interpret it differently. Yeah. Yeah. And what about the NSAIDs that you were speaking about, Aileen? What are their mechanism of action? Yeah, well, they um, sort of work in a similar way, but they, they work with, around blocking or inhibiting the effect of some chemicals, which are enzymes. Um, they're known as the COX enzymes. And again, people might read about those if, if you're looking at other articles. So the COX enzymes, what they do is help the prostaglandins that I've just mentioned. Um, and the prostaglandins are involved in the production of pain and inflammation at the site of the injury or the damage. And so when there's a reduction in prostaglandin production, 
um, that reduces the pain and inflammation. Um, and there are there are two types of COX enzymes that are involved in this process, COX-1 and COX-2. And it's the COX-2 enzyme that's mainly involved in making the prostaglandins that are involved with pain and inflammation. And really, the key difference between the two medications is that the NSAIDs are the ones that have the anti-inflammatory action. So, you know, I'm guessing that that's why runners are really attracted to use them because, you know, you're thinking, well, if I reduce the inflammation, that's going to make it easier for me to run through an injury and, and keep on training. Mm, that's, that's really interesting, Aileen, and thanks for that. And I think it's also useful to know that these medications are processed differently by the body as well. So thinking here about paracetamol or acetaminophen, um, for example, is broken down and removed by the liver. So there is potentially a risk of liver, liver damage if they're overconsumed, so that chronic um, consumption of them. And then thinking of the NSAIDs, on, other, on the other hand, they're sort of removed from um, the body via the kidneys. So again, if you have a chronic consumption of these NSAIDs, then there is the potential for kidney damage and also uh, potentially stomach bleeding. And um, and also thinking about ibuprofen, using these in, in high doses for longer than recommended, um, it has been found to increase the risk potentially of blood clots, heart attack and stroke. So quite significant um, uh, side effects if, if over overused and and chronically used yeah and I think it's quite easy to fall into that overuse situation so it's it's really important that people follow the safety guidance on dosage and and quantity uh, over a 24-hour period in particular and I I know from personal experience um, I've had a family member who took too much paracetamol in a 24-hour period to deal with um, some pain following a, a simple accident um, and it got out of control and he ended up having to be treated for a borderline overdose. Um, so that was quite scary, really. Yeah, absolutely, Aileen. That sounds really scary, but, but easy to make a mistake, I suppose, if you're in severe pain. Um, but thinking about, you know, our world of runners, um, how big a problem do you think there is regarding the number of run- runners chronically using these over-the-counter medications? Well, it's hard to say what percentage of runners use the, the over-the-counter medications t- during training and racing. But there have been quite a few studies um, on this and, and they indicate quite a high uptake. So um, one study that I read was... Um, done in 2010 and it was uh, a study of participants in the Bonn Marathon and just over a thousand participants were interviewed and over half of those participants um, had ingested analgesics which is another word for pain relief before racing and most had done it without any medical advice so that you know a lot of us will be in marathons and half marathons in you know huge mass events so if you can imagine you know, 50% of those people at the start line have taken something that's, I think, quite high uptake. It is. And then there was a couple of other studies that I read. Um, that I read a blog article, actually, that was quoting a, a study in 2006, and that was looking at participants in an endurance run, which was like a, a, an ultra run. It was a 100-mile endurance run. 
And that was saying that 70% of the participants took um, what they described as a drugstore painkiller before the event, um, but it didn't actually say how many athletes were surveyed. So again, that's quite a high mm. percentage. Um, and then there was another study, um, which was an American study in 2011, and that was looking at 76 athletes over three different races. And um, what they were noting was that 59% of the ultramarathon runners and 63% of the marathon runners reported using NSAIDs during training. Um, you know, and I, I think I probably uh, read somewhere that ultra runners seem to be the group who use them more than others, although that study doesn't quite indicate mm. that. Um, yeah. So, yeah. yeah, very, very high prevalence, I would say. Um, so it's quite concerning. Absolutely. I would totally agree with that, Aileen. It is quite concerning. Really interesting statistics, like you say. And it is interesting that, yes, this is only one study, but that that 2011 study did did show that marathon runners are using them more than ultramarathon runners because mm-hmm. you would naturally think it would be the other way around. Mm-hmm. Um, but it sounds as though that maybe is generally the case. Yeah. Yeah. So can we just talk a little bit more about why runners are using painkillers and are they actually helping them? Yeah, well, as we said earlier, uh, most runners are using these medications to reduce the perception of pain and manage the injury or wear and tear so that they can continue to trace and race and and train. I was going to say trace and rain there. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, and and I think we can understand that everybody wants to keep on training, don't they? Nobody wants to have a break. Um, But there are, you know, looking at the evidence, it would suggest that there's not any benefits to performance of the runner and potentially there's quite um, serious long-term health and performance issues to consider. Um, So there was a really interesting study not too long ago. It was 2015 by De Silva. And what um, that study looked at was the effects of NSAIDs, which in this case was ibuprofen they looked at. And they looked at the impact on long-distance male runners and specifically the potential effect on muscle damage, soreness, and overall endurance performance. And their conclusion at the end of the study was that the ibuprofen didn't reduce the effect of muscle damage or pain during performance, and there was no significant evidence for the regular use of ibuprofen as a preventative measure um, or indeed as a means of enhancing performance in male endurance runners. So if these runners were using it thinking they were helping themselves, actually it didn't make any difference from a performance point of view. Um, And I think that is a really good point to get across, isn't it? Because I think a a lot of people are using these um, uh, medications to to dampen down the inflammation and the pain so that they can continue to perform and perform well and, and, and always looking to enhance their performance. But actually, that's not the outcome from using these. And um, and actually, I read a blog article sort of look at discussing the background to runners who develop acute kidney failure and, um, and a high proportion had taken analgesics or had a, a viral or bacterial infection or a pre-existing condition, which is really interesting. And although it's very rare, cases of acute renal failure 
in long distance runners, maybe where there are several factors that in combination come together to result in acute renal failure. So examples of potential factors that could accumulate um, or be a combination of them leading to this renal failure is heat stress, dehydration, using these NSAID medications or other drugs or analgesics, um, and also viral or bacterial infections. So there could be an accumulation and, and these medications are just something else that's adding to that load and that risk of um, acute renal failure. But I think as runners, we can take control of some of these risk factors, sort of including that minimising of um, of the use of the over-the-counter medications. Yeah, I think that's a really valid point, Karen, that, you know, there are some things that are within our control if we're trying to protect our overall health, um, you know, and things like you know, we're, when we run, we're in different environments, aren't we? And that might, you know, put additional stresses on us. So to not have the um, NSAIDs as part of that uh, picture was probably going to be really helpful. Um, so it, it seems that, you know, many runners are using this pain medication um, pre, during and post training and racing, um, almost as a preventative measure. And that what they're doing is aiming to to minimize any pain or inflammation during endurance running events. Um, and they do feel that they're helping themselves. But I, I think what we're trying to uncover here is that they're probably not. Um, mm. And there was a, another study um, that was in 2006 by Neiman. And, and what they were doing was investigating if there was any statistical differences in race times, uh, muscle damaged, and also perceived effort and reported soreness. So what they did was um, they gave one group of athletes ibuprofen before and during a race and no medication to another group. And um, the conclusion was that there was no difference to any of the areas that I've just mentioned. Um, but what they did find, which was really interesting, was that the medicated group um, had, dis had a disrupted integrity of the lining cells of the colon and that resulted in a leakage of bacteria into the bloodstream. So the potential result of something like that is a condition called endotoxemia, uh, which can lead to septic shock in extreme cases. Um, so that was a, a finding that maybe they weren't expecting to find, but it was it was a, a, an interesting finding. And, um, you know, we know that runners are, are likely to experience sort of amplified inflammation and oxidative stress which can increase soreness and delay recovery. Um, but if they're, if they're also taking the answers, that can potentially, you know, make things worse. Yeah, absolutely. That's really interesting finding from that Neiman, um, that Neiman study. Uh, that's really intriguing. Um, but some listeners might be thinking, what harm can be caused taking these medications for one race, say? But I think what, what runners should really be considering is how often are they taking these medications, um, especially if, say, they're doing it consistently during training or they've maybe got a busy race schedule. So they may think that they're just taking it on the odd occasion. But how odd is that occasion or actually how regular is that occasion? So really worth noting down how, how often you are actually taking them. 
Yeah, I think it's really good to ask yourself these questions because it does seem it's the chronic load that appears to do the most long-term damage. Um, one of the things that was springing to my mind is, um, you know, there's a female factor to consider here. Um, you know, how much pain medication are you using to manage period pains? Because that could significantly increase your consumption of medication every month without it necessarily being related to your running. Um, although maybe people are taking it so they can run. Um, I know, you know, in the past I've popped ibuprofen like sweets to deal with period pain. And, and in those days I had no idea that it was going to have any negative effects on, on my health. So mm -hmm. I think it is an important question to ask ourselves. Absolutely. And like we said earlier, very easy to, to overuse, but by accident, not mm -hmm. realizing what you're actually doing. So Aileen, thinking about that, is there any guidance on using pain medication as part of, of running routines for, you know, overall for runners? Is there any guidance at all? Well, I mean, the advice seems to be as a runner, it's not really going to help you to use the pain medication as a management tool to relieve the chronic pain and inflammation. Um, it's more likely to lead to you running through pain and potentially leading to long-term injury or health problems so it's like masking the problem really um, and I always feel that I have to remind people who might be listening to us that it's important to follow medical advice um, there are some general guidance on medical websites that I've, I've read um, so for acute injuries the advice is you know follow the advice of your med medical practitioner or your sports coach or your um, sports massage therapist, whoever it is you're going to see, um, and they will help you manage an acute situation to minimize injury or to enable you to complete a specific sporting event. You know, we've all been in situations where we're coming up to an event that we've trained for and something's happened and, you know, we've gone to the physio and said, I still want to do the race. Can I do it? You know, and they might in that instance say to you, yes, it is okay um, in this situation to take some medication to help you get through but they're going to be looking at you as a whole and they'll be giving you advice on how to manage that situation um, and also you've got to bear in mind that you know some people do require to take these medications to manage a diagnosed health condition that they're living with and so again you know following advice from your health practitioner would be really important so things one that's popping into my mind is you know many people have to take aspirin on a daily basis for blood thinning. And so they wouldn't want to remove that without talking to their medical practitioner about it. So that would be some sort of general advice. Yeah. Um, I know that, you know, we've talked about this in the past, Karen, so you might have something to add here about the particular use of um, the different types of medications. Yes, I'm thinking here of the NSAID, you know, we said earlier that they may impair kidney function. And as we know, with running, kidney circulation may be suppressed by dehydration. So uh, I would say it's really advisable to main maintain your hydration uh, levels and take these NSAIDs at least two hours post-run and post-urination uh, when you are rehydrated 
And remember, only to take for a maximum of four days if you're managing an injury. So really limited periods of time. And then thinking about paracetamol, say you're using it for a pre-run headache or a niggling chronic pain, then it's it's advisable really to take a regular dose before, during or after a run. Um, but be aware that taking um, any amounts above the daily dose does increase your risk um, or to, to your liver health. And again, advice is to take it for no longer than um, than four days in a row. So just, again, some, some general guidance for people. But Eileen, is there any situation where you think these could could be used pre, during or post training or or during a race? Um, well, I, I keep labouring this point. You know, we're not medics. Um, you know, we're, we're nutritionally trained and we're qualified, um, but we're not medics. So our conversation today is really our personal view and we're highlighting what sports researchers have discovered. Um, and I think what we all need to consider is that when we're injured, it's the body's natural response is pain and inflammation and pain's part of the body's alarm system to tell us that something's going on. And, you know, medication that we've been talking about does have its role and it it helps decrease the perception of pain so it's bearable for us. And, and in the case of NSAIDs, it helps decrease inflammation and that may help us enable muscle function and motion, and both of which could be really important to long-term recovery. I know physios have said that to me in the past, you know, if, if you reduce the inflammation, then we can start moving the joint and it's going to be easier for you. So there is a case for that. Um, but I think sort of going back to your question, Karen, I, I really strongly believe that individuals should take advice from their medical practitioner or their sports injury specialist. And, and in my personal view, um, the pain medication or the NSAIDs should really just be used in acute situations. And if you're going to use it in a chronic, for a chronic condition, then again, that should be under medical supervision. Um, so yeah, it's sort of, I think what we're highlighting here is that they're, they're there for use, um, but you've got to use them very carefully. Yes, I would agree with that. It's about that strategic use of them, that word mm. strategic that we use um, often. Um, but it sounds as though, um, you know, both athletes and recreational runners do tend to take these medications without really considering the consequences on health or potentially performance as well. Uh, they think they're they're supporting themselves, but the big question is, are they? Um, so just before we move on, Aileen, I'll just do a quick roundup of what we've spoken about so far. So some runners, it appears that some runners are using painkillers as a tool really to override symptoms of aches and sore muscles and injuries to help them to continue to train or race. But is this the right approach? And people tend to assume that they're safe because they're sold over the counter. But pain relievers, and I think particularly the NSAIDs, can be risky. So, um, so I think just for everyone to bear that in mind. So now let's um, move on and talk about the health risks and potential impact on perf- performance. So, um, Aileen, what are the health risks, do you think, for an endurance runner from taking these? Yeah, well, I think there are potentially quite a few serious health risks, which we've sort of alluded to earlier in the conversation. So we've already mentioned that 
uh, the liver and kidneys are involved in breaking down and eliminating these medications. And um, as we know, both of these organs are required to function optimally for energy production and for performance. So they're pretty crucial for runners to be in tip-top condition. Um, so thinking about, um, you know, you mentioned um dehydration earlier, Karen, and also kidney disorders. We've talked about how dehydration impacts on kidney function and how the consumption of NSAIDs can decrease kidney function. Um, So the NSAIDs inhibit the prostaglandins. Um, We've already mentioned these in relation to pain management, Um, but also these hormones help regulate blood flow to the kidneys. Um, So the We've got to take that into account too. And the physical exertion of, of um, endurance running combined with the NSAIDs and possibly dehydration can be a really dangerous mix. Um, and there's also a consensus that um, NSAIDs are a, a clear risk factor for exercise-associated hypernatremia. So again, that's something we've talked about in previous episodes. Um, and often that's linked to um, drinking too much water and it, it occurs when sodium levels in the blood are too low. So it's it's really interesting to know that NSAIDs contribute to that as well. Mm-hmm. So um, that's another uh, warning sign. Um, and then the other area that I think people are probably aware of um, are the, the effects of these painkillers on gut and digestive issues. Um, because if you read any of the um, the leaflets that come along with these um, medications, you, you'll you'll read about this. Um, but what what can happen is if if typically people are chronically using these medications, it can lead to damaging the stomach lining and the digestive tract, um, and it also may affect the gut microbiome. All of which puts us at risk of digestive disorders and digestive symptoms. Um, you know, and that that links back to that that thing that we were talking about earlier in the Neiman study or the, you know, about the um, endotoxemia. So that might be linked to that. Um, And the other thing that uh, can happen um, is that you can sometimes develop a condition called leaky gut gut, um, or intestinal permeability to give it its full title. Um, So again, that's something that some people may have heard of and, um, Basically, that happens when um, the the gut lining becomes permeable as a result of many different factors, but um, these NSAIDs and painkillers can be a contributory factor. And what that can mean is that we're more susceptible to um, particles and molecules that shouldn't be getting into our bloodstream, getting into our bloodstream, and um, that can trigger uh, an immune response, and in some cases, an autoimmune response. So again, that's something um, to be avoided, really. Mm, so potentially, there are some really serious side effects to these medications if, if they're certainly if they're used chronically. Um, but I'm thinking, Aileen, what are the potential effects of NSAIDs on on healing injuries? Yeah, well, this is really interesting. Um, and um, there's been, again, quite a lot of research done in this area about the, the effects of NSAIDs on um, skeletal muscle, uh, tissues, ligaments and bones. Um, and there's a whole host of things that have been discovered. So um, it, it's thought that NSAIDs may impede the synthesis of collagen uh, and also that the 
uh, COX-2 and prostaglandins, which we mentioned earlier, which are the important mediators in the responsiveness and the adaptation of connective tissue, um, that can be inhibited too. Um, So athletes who take NSAIDs before injury may have a reduced tissue adaptation, and that could potentially put them at risk to future injury. So that's um, another uh, concern. Uh, And also the prolonged use of NSAIDs has the potential to reduce the rate of bone matrix production and tissue repair. So again, you know, that could lead to um, delayed healing of fractures and also of things like um, tendon, ligament, and muscle injuries. So it's um, it's really uh, quite far-reaching um, and quite concerning, really. Um, there was one study that I read um, that had a, a – what they observed, that there was a negative effect on musculoskeletal tissue healing um, and that it was diminished if the – this is diminished if the NSAID is consumed after exercise. So what they're saying there is if you do need to take an anti-inflammatory medication – Take it after after exercise, not pre or during exercise. So that's, I think, quite an important one to be thinking if you're in a race <laughs> or a, or you're doing some kind of event or you've just got a long training run. If you really feel you need it, um, have it afterwards rather than um, pre or, or during exercise, uh, which typically I think is what most runners are doing. Yeah, absolutely. And it's really interesting, Eileen, because, you know, all these things you've mentioned are exactly what runners are trying to protect themselves against by taking these NSAIDs. So it is ironic that these are the potential negative effects from it. So I think um, really important for people to start asking the question and deliberating whether they do actually need to be taking these medications. Yeah, the advice seems to be that if um, NSAID intervention is required, it should be used um, in a restricted way. And uh, we should be thinking about the minimal dose and the minimal duration. Um, So, for instance, during the early stage of an injury, which could be up to a week um, following the injury, you know, it's it's okay to take NSAIDs. and that's really when you've got those active signs of inflammation and symptoms, so active swelling, um, and um, you know maybe that you've got pain at night time, and, and taking the NSAIDs at that point would be um, helpful, um, and that might help reduce the pain and promote function. Um, and so there's quite a lot of a lot of evidence to suggest that short term use limits the negative effects that we've been discussing so you know you can use them in the correct way and they can help you um, but it's important to um, you know take care of the advice really absolutely and just limit the use use it acutely but not chronically so so just to summarize Aileen um, the, the key health risks tend to be related to kidney and liver function also the gastrointestinal and digestive damage that can be caused by these and, and also exercise associated hyponatremia and the potential to inhibit the production of collagen and bone matrix and also delay the healing of bones and tendons, ligaments and and muscles. So quite an extensive um, amount of risk factors there from using them. But um, before we move on, shall we just take a short advert 
break um, and then we can move on to looking at alternatives to these over-the-counter medications. Yeah, sure. So this is the the point of the episode where Karen and I take a minute just to uh, talk to you about what we do outside of of the podcast. Um, So like you, Karen and I are busy working women. We run for health, fitness, achievement and a bit of fun along the way. Um, But even as nutritional therapists, we've had our own personal running performance struggles. Um, What we found is that really um, adapting a combination of everyday healthy eating and fine-tuning it with sports nutrition principles has helped us maximize our running performance and minimize injury. And what we did, um, you know, based on our our, our own experience and our work with um, one-to-one clients is we turned um, all of our expertise into um, a program, an online program called Easy Nutrition for Healthy Runners. So it's a short and sweet video program, and if you uh, would like to um, take part, you can actually complete the program in just over 30 minutes a day over a two-week period. Um, but equally, you know, if you prefer to spread it out, you can take it take it as long um, a long a period of time as you would like to to complete the program. So if you've been listening today and you'd like to know more about it, um, and you'd like to maybe uh, find some natural ways to apply. Um, sports nutrition alongside your everyday food plan this would be a really great place to start and we give you easy action steps along with every video uh, to help you so if you're interested um, you can find all the details on our website which is runnershealthhub.com look at the top menu bar uh, find the online program and uh, have a look and if it's something that's interesting to you we'd love to have you on board uh, if you've got any questions, feel free to email us at hello at runnershealthhub.com. Great. Thanks very much, Aileen. Okay, so now let's talk about natural alternatives to these over-the-counter medications that we've discussed. Um, and I think, you know, we've already said there is a case for using the pain medication and anti-inflammatory NSAIDs when in the early stages of injury, but under the supervision of your healthcare advisor. What we'd like to consider here is how runners can manage their overall health and well-being. So they don't really feel the need to use the over-the-counter medication as a management tool for aches and pains that they can sort of introduce alternatives into um, their their nutrition and lifestyle instead. And what I would say here is that there are no magic bullets. We can't just swap an ibuprofen for a supplement capsule. Um, we have to to really remember that inflammation is a is an important part of the healing process, um, actually, and uh, our immune system will spring into action to deal with the pain, to deal with the injury or infection, whatever it may be. And because of that, it's really important that we have a balanced immune system to help us in these situations. And I think there's a couple of concepts or terms that we need to be considering and managing to help promote that immune balance. So the first um, to be considered is our inflammatory load. So, for example, is our lifestyle and environment burdening our immune system? I'm thinking here of maybe um, if we're eating a high processed highly processed diet, uh, we're taking alcohol, any other drugs and medications, also being obese um, and living with a metabolic condition such as type 2 diabetes and high blood pressure, or is our volume and frequency of our training um, um, 
sort of adding pressure um, on, and putting pressure onto our immune system. And these are all things that are going to add to that inflammatory load. So maybe thinking about which of these, any of these um, you can relate to. And then secondly, another thing to think about is, is that inflammatory load contributing to systemic or chronic inflammation, which means that potentially your immune system is constantly working to deal with lots of different assaults that's coming its way. And if that is the case, then your immune system may not be working optimally when it comes to dealing with any running pains or running injuries. So it's really about um, supporting the immune system through our diets and lifestyle so that it can deal naturally with any pain and injury that comes its way. Yeah, and that's where, you know, we, we were saying about there's no magic bullet. You know, the magic, the magic bullet is really, it's a magic foundation, isn't it, Karen? You've got to have uh, everything in place in your immune system to, to be able to deal with injury and um, anything else that might come along. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, the good news is that mostly the lifestyle and environment, environmental factors are modifiable so they are within our control particularly what we eat and how we train what recovery and rest we take and they will all help balance our immune system and help us as runners to recover efficiently um you know particularly from our day-to-day training and help minimize the risk of injury and help us heal better when we do have an injury um so i think you know just to re-emphasize what you were saying there Karen is that the key advice is to manage an inflammation status as part of a healthy well-being foundation Um, it's going to be really important yeah absolutely it's about having that um, foundational healthy nutrition um, in place and lifestyle on a day-to-day basis but do you have any specific nutritional advice here Aileen? Yeah, I think um, there are some um, foods and nutrients which um, are very helpful. And, um, you know, we'll talk about a couple of them, Karen. Uh, mm-hmm. Many of them work by inhibiting the inflammatory pathways in the same way as NSAIDs. Um, we talked earlier about the COX pathway. and Some natural compounds in, in foods will act to inhibit uh, something called NF-kappa B um, and the inflammatory pathways that that's involved in um, and basically that's a it acts as a switch to turn inflammation on and off in the body uh, so there's there's lots of supplements and herbs which are supportive um, but I, I think today um, what we'll do is talk about a couple um, so I'm thinking of omega-3 fatty acids and turmeric that we could um, have a look at today uh, because there's a lot written about them and, and they're easy to include in a in a food plan. So Karen, would you mind starting just by outlining how the omega-3 fatty acids help? Yeah, sure, Aileen. So the active ingredients in fish oil are the EPA and DHA. So that's the eicosapentaenoic acid. Aileen, you're testing me here. And the Decosahexaenoic acid. I don't know if I've. Had you just said EPA and DHA? Yeah. <laughs> I think that would be the best thing. 
give it a go, Aileen. Um, and and this, this, the EPA and DHA enhance the conversion of COX to prostaglandin um, 3. And um, that's a natural anti-inflammatory agent. Um, and it it's competitively inhibits the effects of the arachidonic acid, which is the pro-inflammatory. So it, it sort of inhibits the effects of the arachidonic acid conversion to the prostaglandin E2, um, and that's highly inflammatory. And the prostaglandin E3 also inhibits the synthesis of the um TNF alpha and um, and also interleukin one B, both of which are um, inflammatory cytokines. And what what can help here is by eating two to three portions of oily fish. So I'm thinking here of the salmon, mackerel, anchovies sardines and herring so thinking about that smash and um, and having that every week will help your omega-3 status Um, and another important aspect of the fatty acid status is to have a balance between the omega-6 and the omega-3 fatty acids and many people um, in the western world tend to over consume the omega-6 containing foods um, because it's mostly found in vegetable oils, which are used in lots of processed foods, uh, both healthy and unhealthy types of foods, actually. So a tip would be to try and reduce the processed foods and read the labels. And um, over time, your omega status will start to begin to balance out. So you'll be reducing the omega-6 and at the same time increasing your omega-3 intake. Yeah, so that that would be really helpful. I think if if everybody could, you know, have a good omega status, um, mm. and that's going to help um, balance the immune system and and help you deal with pain management through the right type of uh, prostaglandins. Um, so thanks, Karen. That's really helpful. So um, let's finish up by just taking a brief look at turmeric, which is a spice well known for its anti-inflammatory properties. And we have spoken about this in, in previous episodes as well. And the, the bioactive component of turmeric is called curcumin. Um, and that's got a long history of medicinal use. And, and that's because it's due to its anti-inflammatory and antioxidant properties. Um, and there've been lots of research studies, almost like too many for me to quote, really. Um, but what I would say is that um, many of them have found that a consumption of curcumin in supplemental form did help reduce muscle injury, soreness and inflammation. And the doses seem to vary in the different studies that I looked at. So they seem to be between 150 to 500 milligrams Um taken up to four days before and after a study period. Um, so, And the study groups were relatively small, but it does seem that the curcumin might be a, a good strategy to help blunt the negative effects of damaging and, and exercise. Um, so I, I think that, um, again, that's something worth looking at. I, I don't think just by having it as a food supplement would make a big enough difference. That would be my take on it. Um, so it might be something that um, people would need to look into using it therapeutically. 
Mm, it's really interesting. And I think that just, you know, what we're saying here is that sort of just making these two changes alone may help support the immune system in dealing with um, the onslaught of, of potential um, injury um, or, or, or um, just helping balance the immune system again. But you mentioned that there are other nutrients, Aileen. I know we haven't got time to discuss them today, but what are they just out of interest that people think about? Yeah, there's lots actually. And, um, you know, there was so much, it was like almost like one of these um, topics that I think we could, you know, have a series about. Uh, but the ones that stuck out in my mind um, when I've been reading around this topic were green tea, uh, reverse toll, uh, chili pepper, tart cherry juice, uh, bromelain, which is uh, an enzyme derived from pineapple, um, watermelon juice and beetroot juice have all been studied too. Um, the overall message I would say from the studies that I've read is that athletes should consume these foods chronically to gain long-term benefits. So it's like no good just thinking I'll have a glass of beetroot juice once a week and that's going to be enough. Um, you need to be having these foods in sufficient quantities regularly and consistently to get the benefits and it's also suggested that consuming a variety of these nutrients will help them work synergistically which you know is good news because we always like to talk about the variety of different foods that are important for for health benefits and, and if you do that you you're going to be able to help yourself modulate and the pain and inflammation pathways Right. I think it's, you know, it's really great to know that there are so many foods and nutrients which we can use to help manage exercise induced pain and inflammation. And I think runners should embrace the concept of of consuming all of these nutrients as part of their sports nutrition plan instead of using the over-the-counter medications, which, as we've kind of shown, is highly risky to long-term health and and potentially running performance. And you were saying there, Aileen, there's no point in taking a beetroot juice once. You've got to use it chronically. So it's it's almost like thinking reverse these things over the the counter medications use acutely and short-lived but with the nutrition it's about using it chronically to support the immune system so just shifting those around absolutely yeah so it's a different mindset and also I think you know sometimes we don't appreciate when we have got a really healthy food plan and it includes all of these different nutrients we might suddenly think, actually, I'm not getting as many aches and pains. And that's because the food's doing its job um, mm. and it's really helping you. Absolutely. OK, then, well, we're going to have to draw this to an end. It's been a really fascinating subject, actually. I've really enjoyed discussing it with you. Um, but just before we go, could I hand back to you for the key takeaways? Yes, of which there are many. <laughs> so there's been a lot to talk about today. Mm. Uh, so the key takeaways are that, you know, obviously some runners are using painkillers as a tool to override the symptoms um, that they're experiencing of aches, um, sore muscles and injuries. And they're doing that to help them continue to train or to race. Uh, typically, people are using things like paracetamol or NSAIDs such as ibuprofen and aspirin. Um, and when runners choose to consume painkillers chronically, uh, and in the absence of injury, there are clear health risks. And we talked about um, the potential of developing liver and kidney disorders, 
exercise-associated hyponatremia, gut and digestive issues, and delayed healing of fractures and acute injuries of tendons, ligaments, and muscles. Um, it's really important to consider the amount of medication you consume because it appears that it's the chronic load that appears to do the most long-term damage. And a particular female factor is to consider how much pain medication um, you're using to manage period pains because that could be increasing that load. Um, just a reminder to follow the safety advice um, in the medication leaflets about the dosage and the quantity over a 24-hour period. Um, and remember that NSAIDs shouldn't be used in the absence of injury uh, and they don't represent a solo therapy or a substitute to active rehabilitation. And you may use them in acute situations. And if you're going to use them for chronic conditions, this should be under medical supervision. Um, we talked about the, um, the potential for NSAIDs to impair kidney function. Um, and so the advice is that you should take NSAIDs at least two hours post-run and post-urination when you're rehydrated. I remember to only take for a maximum of four days if you're managing an injury. And it's um, the advice for paracetamol is slightly different. Um, you are able to take a regular dose before, during and after a run, but be aware that taking um, any amount over the daily dose recommended is a risk to liver health. And again, the advice is don't take it for more than four days in a row. Um, then thinking about uh, how you can support yourself alternatively um, is to think about reducing the inflammatory load on your on your body and focusing on an anti-inflammatory food plan and a supportive lifestyle. And that's really going to help your immune system work optimally and minimize the, the risk of chronic inflammation. We've highlighted a few foods and nutrients that you could consider, uh, particularly omega-3 fatty acids, turmeric, green tea, reversitrol, chili, pepper, tart cherry juice, bromelain, uh, watermelon juice and beetroot juice and all of these foods work by inhibiting the inflammatory pathways in a similar manner to the NSAIDs and that really the nutritional approach is to eat a variety of these foods in sufficient quantities regularly and consistently to get the benefits and finally uh, you can consider using some of these nutrients therapeutically in supplemental form um, but do so under the supervision of a qualified nutritionist or your healthcare practitioner. And, and that's it, Karen. That's us rounded up for the day. Well done. Thanks very much, Aileen, for all of those key takeaways and all very important takeaways, I think, from this discussion. And remember, everybody, don't let nutrition be the limiting factor in your running performance. Well, this brings us to the end of another episode of She Runs, Eats, Performs, brought to you by Runners Health Hub, helping female runners to be fitter, faster and stronger. We really hope you've enjoyed listening and you'll join us again soon. In the meantime, we'd be so grateful if you check us out on iTunes and leave a review. And once again, thanks for listening and do let us know if there are any topics you'd like us to cover in future episodes. Bye for now.
We'd like to introduce you to our show sponsor, Amazing Jane Activewear for Women's Changing Bodies, recommended as best leggings for running by Women's Fitness Magazine. We think they have everything a female runner needs. First of all, they are high compression to support your legs and bum. They have a deep waistband so they stay up and they don't move about when you run. There's a handy left pocket for your phone and a zip pocket on the waistband which is great for your cards or a key. They also have a hidden tracker pocket for storing a GPS tracking device and this is a unique safety feature. All Amazing Jane designs, including tanks and tops, are cut to skim, not cling, giving you confidence to look and feel great and focus on performance. Karen and I have been trialing wearing their range for a few months and we can happily recommend them. So if you'd like to try Amazing Jane Activewear, please use our listeners' special discount code RHH10 for 10% off all purchases at amazingjane.com. Amazing Jane ship around the world, so please check their website for details. Thanks again to Amazing Jane Activewear for being our show sponsor and for sharing discount code RHH10 for 10% off all purchases.